0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is about origins. How did we get here? Who are we? What is life about? It gives us the foundation for all the essential questions we have about our existence and how to live. Last week we presented an overview of the week of creation with an emphasis on the first five days. Uh, This morning we're going to uh, focus in on days six and seven. So let's begin reading Genesis one verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come asking that you would bring insight, that we might receive your word with gladness and understanding, that we would be able to respond to your word appropriately in every area of our lives. So. We ask by your spirit you would bring clarity, you would bring conviction that you would help us to be people of faithfulness to you, our good and faithful God. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. On day six of creation, we see the high point of all that God would create in the entire universe. There is a a sense of pause and deliberation in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and, and after our likeness. Although in the previous days we saw wonders had been brought into existence from all of the stars in the universe to what swarms in the seas of great sea creatures. And yet until God created man, he did not view his work as being done all that god intended to be in what we call existence came to a culmination when he created humanity now what does it mean that man is created in the image of god a phrase that is repeated a number of times not only in our passage, but through the early chapters of Genesis. The the passage doesn't immediately tell us, but through all of Scripture, uh, I think we, we get a clear sense of what does it mean that we are made in God's image. And I think there are three features to this. Some would kind of divide them between what is Uh, form and function, but I think they're all meant to be a part of this together. The first is character. Man is a moral being. We were created unlike all of the other beasts that God brought into existence. Man was meant to be righteous. We were meant to be godly, like God of character. We are moral beings based upon the character of God. The second feature is that of relationship. Again, clearly distinct from the rest of creation. We, we all depend upon God for our existence, but we are meant to commune with God to be in relationship with him as his children we should notice that it is at this point in the creation narrative that God reveals himself as a triune being. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We know God is one being who exists in three persons Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all existing eternally, all co-equal, and that reality of God is presented to us in the context of when he creates man. God has eternally been a relational being in communion and fellowship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and as God Creates humanity, it is for this wondrous purpose of drawing us within this fellowship of the Godhead. Wonderful beyond our capacity to grasp or to dream and yet it is true and indeed of all of the hopes that we could have for eternity this is the greatest hope that we will forever be in unrestrained and unmarred fellowship with the triune God. Christ himself declaring to the father as the son pours out his heart to the Father. He says, these whom you have given, I desire that they would be with me forever. Next time you wonder, does does God care? Does God look upon me? What is God's heart for me? See what he has said. The very foundation of of our existence is based upon God's desire to commune with us. And as we knew, he, he would not even restrain the sacrifice of his son to keep that. The third feature beyond character relationship is rule. And that we see as a focus in the, the following verses. We are given a unique responsibility over the whole earth and all the creatures of it. We are meant to take care of and to work and to add to the beauty of which God has embedded in what he has made. As image bearers, we are God's reflection and we are God's representatives. We bear something of the character Of God, and we are here to serve his will with responsibility in the earth. The implications of our being image bearers are immense and far-reaching. We will touch on just a little bit of it in this message, but the topic is is so important for us that we will come back to this for the month of September and spend a few weeks What does it mean that we are created in the image of God and particularly how that is the foundational truth to virtually every cultural, political, social issue that we face and wring our hands over and have turmoil over and all of these different opinions. When we start with the reality of we are made in the image of God, it sets us on a clearer path for how we navigate the world we're in. Until we understand those truths, we're just kind of wandering around. It's like a ping pong machine, you know, what truth has hit us, what opinion has hit us and we're bouncing around against all of it rather than having a clear inclination given to us by what God has declared of us. So we will spend a bit of time there. On day six, we see the high point of creation. On day seven, we see the completion of creation. On the seventh day, God declares creation is finished. Verse one of chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them And what of this this world God created? Every nature show you will ever watch marvels at the interconnectedness of creation. It is a reflection of God. And we all are amazed over and over of the beauty of what God has made. We don't tire of it. We, we can see something we've seen a thousand times. And you walk onto the beach again and you sit in your chair and you hear those waves and feel the warmth. And again, you're, this is wonderful. And all that God had made was fruitful. That's the, the focus, verses 29 and 30, God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. There were no diseases, there are none of these lantern flies that I've been killing all week. I'm going to beat them. I'm <laughs> determined. There was no drought. There were no predators. Do you understand? Every green plant for every creature. It was a world overflowing with wonder and beauty and fruitfulness. And so God, he himself said this, it is very good. This finished creation was a manifestation of God's perfect wisdom, his infinite power, his unparalleled goodness, all of it on display. And so God rested and called the seventh day holy. Verse 3, it's worth our attention. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because, that's significant. On it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The rest of God, it's not the rest of exhaustion. It is the rest of of completion. It it is done. It is perfectly done. Neither is God's rest some form of detachment. It's all done now, and I'll sit back and watch. Uh, On the contrary... God's rest includes his intimate involvement and all that will take place and that is shown in the fact that it is called a holy rest. Think of these two themes brought together in verse three. First that it is rest, the rest of it is complete and perfect. There is nothing to add to this. It is very good. To that is added... The idea of holiness. And holiness, we know, means to be set apart for God. Colossians 1 tells us creation belongs to him. It is for God. It is meant to glorify him. So we bring this together. There is this completion and rest. And because he takes rest, he calls it Holy. Holy mean set apart for God. So there is this completedness that God has done, which it is meant forever to be pointed to Him that all creation would see it is for Him. And we as those who have responsibility of all that God has made, we are to live and breathe and act in this world with all we encounter for the glory of God because what he does is perfect. This holy rest is the recognition of the fullness of God that we bow before it in wonder. And because it is holy, we are setting ourselves constantly to see he is Lord over it all. And we represent him within it for the glory of his name. That is what verse 3 means. And when we fail to see these realities of creation, when we lose sense of holy rest, life just goes off the rails. And so we have in Romans chapter one, a connection made with creation that is uh, likewise one of the most foundational passages in scripture. I want us to look at Romans chapter one verses 18 to 23 as we make sense of what is going on in the world. What has happened to this wondrous earth? What has happened to humanity whom God has made in his own image? What is wrong in this world? And God doesn't leave us to wonder He he points to it directly and brings us back to foundations and how they should be understood. Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there is a judgment of God, which should not surprise anyone who just looks at the condition of the world. It is because something, a, a truth has been suppressed. What is it suppressed? He goes on, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things he has made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. When we lose sight of what God has made the implication of rest, God's perfect world, blessed be his name. When we lose sight of it is his, he has called it holy. And instead we, we go to our sense of self to figure it all out. Life cannot work that way, it's simply cannot work. And so we have the world we do. Days six and seven of creation point us to this this issue of fulfillment. How, How do we become fulfilled? How does that work? And... With all the views and opinions out there, it's constantly being missed because Genesis chapter 1 is ignored. So how can we get to where we want to be when we ignore how we came into existence and who has done it and for what purpose? The first thought I want us to see of this is as image bearers, We are most human when we are most godly. We are most human when we are most godly because we are created in the image of God. Notice the repetition in verse 27 of of being created, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and female, he created them. Your existence is from God. God alone thought of you, invented you, brought you into being, made you a living soul. God alone causes the molecules of your existence to stay together. God alone is what causes your soul to be. It is all because of him. God alone creator, you. Come from the hand of God, the breath of God, the heart of God. What is it that we will come up with to bring meaning to how we think about life that is greater than the truth? God created us. And so your purpose is fulfilled By knowing God more deeply, by experiencing God more thoroughly, by glorifying God in in how you think and live. This is how we were made, but as we will see in the weeks to come, how quickly when Adam and Eve, the first of God's created humanity when they sinned. All of this went awry. And God's image was distorted. It was not lost. Even the most sinful of of people that despise the thought of God are are still beings in his image, but that image was distorted in every way. The relationship was broken. Broken so, so completely that it required the incarnation of God into flesh, the taking of our sin upon himself his sacrifice, his blood shed, his resurrection from the dead, it required the greatest acts that have ever been done in all of universal existence to repair that relationship. If you think that, well, I'll just be a good person, that that's sufficient when the Son of God died, Bearing the wrath of God that you being good is somehow a substitute for that? The character that we were given became unhitched. There are still threads of it because we are still created in the image of God. But morality is is being tied to anything. Anything. And people are in great confusion over truths that are, have been plainly known for thousands of years and now seem to be lost and unknown. And our rule is abusive. Whether it's human rule over each other When was the last time you heard someone in any country and in any generation of the world praise their government? I read a lot of history and biography. It doesn't matter when they lived. They're all complaining about Congress, about their leaders. We're never satisfied because we find abuse and misunderstanding. We we have companies that trade in thousands of jobs, snatching them up and casting them off as though there are no lives involved, all for profit at the destruction of homes and lives. How we treat each other, how we treat this world, So how do we find the fulfillment, the contentment that every single person desires? The repeated mistake is somehow within ourselves, coming within ourselves to know our inner self, that's going to unlock fulfillment. And that mistake is just repeated endlessly. In truth, fulfillment comes through restoring the fullness of God's image. It goes back to what went awry, how were we made, why were we made, what is missing from the beginning that we belong to God and are meant to be in communion with him, to know and serve him. When that's a non-issue, we can never get to where we hope to be, ever. All the realities of human study about ourselves have their foundation in Genesis 1. Whether it's anthropology, sociology, psychology, philosophy, political science, the, the realities of ourselves, the study of ourselves, Uh, the truth of all of that comes from Genesis 1. It's given to us in the beginning of Scripture. Every field of study is not detached from Scripture. It has its understanding. It is breathed out by Scripture. But again, we can never get there if how we pursue fields of study ignores the existence and reality of God. How can anything be understood clearly without the person of God within it? Have you ever wondered why all of these fields of study are constantly changing? Constantly changing, not because we keep getting smarter. Every field of study is constantly changing because Every opinion we come to, we think, oh, this is new. This is great. And we're never satisfied with it because it doesn't work. And so the next generation, we're going to think of something else which will not work. Christ himself, by himself, in himself. Christ restores what God's image should be in us. For he takes away the guilt of sin, and he takes away the bondage of sin, and he makes us whole. The, the door is just thrown open. For communion with God, the invitation, the way it's all there. And then he himself, the eternal son of God, now eternally also, God and man in flesh, he in himself shows us here is the perfect image of God in flesh. And he both gives us his perfect righteousness and he leads the way. The more we live for Christ and become like him, the greater our fulfillment will be. Don't miss that. The more we live for Christ, the more we become like him, the greater Our fulfillment will be every time. And what pursuit will you put in its place? What pursuit will you put in Jesus' place? Believer. Where do we start with this? Because I live for Christ. Well, I've heard that before. Kind of struggling with it. Here's one way to think about it, to approach it. Read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just just have a, I was gonna say a yellow pad and people are gonna go, a what? (laughs) Your iPad, your phone. Have wherever you keep stuff that you (laughs) mark down. As you read the Gospels, every time you come across something that Jesus does or says, that you go, oh, it surprises you. It's inside, you know, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have accepted that. Every time Jesus surprises you, mark that down. Because that reveals a way in which you are not like him. Now, don't mark all the miracles. (laughs) Haven't raised the dead. Haven't multiplied fish and loaves. We get it. We know that part. So, accepted, assumed. How you interact with life and people and situations. How does Jesus surprise us? And then go back to those passage, Spirit of God, help me to see and to be like that. And the Holy Spirit will rush in with desire and ability to make it so if your heart desires it. The seventh day rests is a gift from God to help us in all of this, to keep perspective, to make our way. That is why in the old covenant, under the Mosaic law, the Sabbath, which means to cease, to not work, the Sabbath was a sign of covenant faithfulness that affirmed two truths, who God is and what he has done. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 and 11, we, we're told, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And so the, the Sabbath commitment, the covenant commitment was remembering who God is. He is Creator, Lord God. We're not. We're dependent on Him. But there is more to it as well. And what has God done for us? Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, then adds to the depth of what is in the, the covenant of Sabbath in the Old Covenant you shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Who is God? What has he done? The sign of covenant, the sign of God's people in the Old Testament was committing to the Sabbath and declaration that God has promised he will care for us, we will trust him, we will cease from labor, and we will remember that God made us his own with his outstretched arm, and no one could stop him. In the new covenant... What we are under in Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law, including the Sabbath requirements. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. And so Christ fulfills all that the Mosaic Law presented to us, and yet we still need holy rest. We still need the recognition that God is sovereign and life doesn't work because we make it work. We trust in God, we follow Him. We rest in His sovereign. We're always trusting it, and it is a holy rest we commit ourselves in all things we will keep him in view and mind because he is our god and he is our savior this is more than relaxation we we need that we need the break of it we need to to no longer think I must make it work by the force of my hand. God is good and able. He has made us. The theology of sleep, we sleep one third of our lifetime as the constant reminder of our our need for God, of what he is doing when we sleep. The, The rest of the seventh day is more than relaxation, though it is that. It is a holy rest that is constantly tying our heart and mind to the foundational realities of God. He is creator God, he is savior God. I am his, life is for him. Creation rest, seventh day rest is meant to create this rhythm where we are remembering the truths of God and embedding it in how we live. And so it must not be lost. It is not the same law and formality. It is a principle of truth that must be brought into how we live. Let's close. Fulfillment and rest cannot be separated from our belonging to God. Fulfillment. Fulfillment cannot be separated from belonging to God. Rest. Don't you want rest? Rest for your soul, your mind, your heart. Rest cannot be separated from our belonging to God. And this is why half-heartedness with God robs us. There's nothing gained by less of God. Nothing can be gained by half-heartedness with God. How could there be gain with less intensity for God? This is why small compromises harm us changing good for corruption. This is why exalting Christ is the most vital task every day. Because fulfillment is all about him and in him. Our struggle, for fulfillment, and rest is not because of circumstances. It's not because life is hard now or you didn't get breaks, or someone's treating you this way, that's not the reason that you struggle with fulfillment or rest. It's not your circumstances. It's because we fail to believe how wondrous Christ is. A story I I read recently, uh, I thought fit this well, the French government I don't know the year, sometime in the last century, the French government brought some Bedouin tribal leaders to France. Uh, They wanted them to be impressed with the glory of French culture. And these Bedouin leaders, they, they visited the Eiffel Tower and other architectural wonders with polite indifference. And then they were taken to see a waterfall in the countryside and they stood in utter amazement, waiting for this surging flow of water to stop. Indeed, they refused to leave. They told their French guide, this cannot last. Such a display must be honored. We know it can't keep going. It's not possible for that much water to flow this way. So we will give honor to what is happening. We will wait here until this, quote, madness stops. Their experience couldn't conceive of what they were seeing. Children of God, we are so often like those Bedouins. We cannot imagine the inexhaustible glory that flows from Christ to us. That will never stop. That will be embedded every day in his love and care. And we cease to see and believe this most basic of truths for us Christians. That Christ is the eternal supply of all that is good and that we need. Christ alone in himself who died for you and says I desire that they would be where I am let us feed on that let's pray Heavenly Father awaken our hearts and minds where we have been drowsy about you the truths of you, the realities of you. May oh, we breathe it in. May we come and drink it in. May we feed upon you that our hearts would be full, our lives faithful and useful for the glory of your son's name. Amen. Amen.